The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC Gdansk Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. is up you savages this is the protect your neck podcast and i am your host dan tom and today tonight whenever you're listening to this we're going to be breaking down ufc gdansk uh hopefully that's the right pronunciation i'll probably be pronouncing it about 10 different ways throughout the throughout the show one of them's bound to be right right Either way, we're going to plow forward. We're going to try to keep this episode a bit short and sweet. Um, Been keeping it to the one a week as promised. So uh, it hasn't been that long since you heard from me last. Because yes, that's right. Last week's episode, we had to push back a little bit. But it was well worth it. At least for me. Hopefully it was for you. We had fun. I had my man Brian Schoonover back on the program uh, for top five fights you wish were stopped sooner. And... I gotta say, this is probably the, the, the most proudest I am of my listener base so far, which is, you know, all seven of you. But regardless of that fact, y'all came strong and sub- sub- submitting, uh, lists that put our, uh, you know, ours to shame and not, you know, in a good way. I mean, it, it was awesome. Uh, it kind of just shows the depth of li- listenership and, uh, you know, so when we do throw random references, perhaps they're not all wasted. And even if they are, you don't have to feel left out. This isn't an elitist, uh, you either belong in the treehouse or you don't type of club. Hopefully, if you hear something um, that you haven't heard before, it inspires you to go back and watch it. Uh, that happened um, with one of John John Rico's picks with the RFA, uh, Manzanares, that, that fight. And I could have swore I saw, you know, the highlight, but I didn't watch it live. And I actually went and you know, found a recording of the whole thing through, and wow, it was uh, it was really disturbing. But neither here nor there. Um, the 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 message there just basically, you know, even me. Uh, that's what this podcast is for. It's to help, uh, you know, enhance my my knowledge, fandom, all of the above. So hopefully, uh, y'all are getting something out of it. Although I will say, your boy Dan Tom was swimming upstream. That was the the first podcast in a while where I wasn't I wasn't tired. And for for a moment, wasn't inebriated, um, but <laughs> but uh, and, and and old Dan Tom's uh, you know been cutting down on the booze. In fact, I I, I emptied out uh, all the booze from my fridge and brought it over to Brian's house when I when I went to record because you know I figured we'd have a couple, but I wanted to pay the beers forward, encourage my good habits, and you know help a friend out and, and, and share some goodness with him. Well, how does he repay me? Well, he convinces me because Dan Thompson comes to peer pressure, apparently. He convinces me, that's why I'm throwing you under the bus, Brian, uh, to just start to, to start uh, drinking a little bit prematurely. So if your boy was swimming upstream during the little recording, uh, <laughs> that, that's probably why. But we had fun. Hopefully you dug it. Uh, I just got done doing another show. Shout out to my man, Mike Pendleton at MP2310 on Twitter uh, for the Chicago Land Sports at Chicago underscore Land. Uh, my man Mike Pendleton uh, 
Twitter friends, MMA acquaintances, uh, community members as we all are. Uh, real good dude. Uh, was long overdue to actually talk to him. Hopefully get to meet him in person, but was good to actually you know, interact with the voice. And Mike Pendleton, of course, uh, contribute over a fan site at the Combat Press. So shout out to you, sir. Uh, thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. Pleasure. Uh, all right. Um, and yeah, thankfully, that's it for notes. We're going to go right into UFC dance from bottom to top. As per usual, unpacking the picks, plays, uh, and all that good stuff. The breakdown dropped today, uh, this afternoon. Uh, <laughs> during my nap, I woke up and I forgot where I was for a second because I, you know, maybe. It's getting older. Maybe it's head trauma. Maybe it's a lack of sleep. Maybe it's all three. But sometimes I wake up like Grandpa Simpson. You know, I'm cold and there's wolves after me. Not quite knowing where I was. I see my breakdown there. And uh, I was like, oh, I am back on planet Earth. And it, we have a fight this weekend. So for the breakdown ahead that we'll be unpacking, you can find the hard copy, if you will. All the details that I miss because surely I will. And uh, the picks plays I'll be referencing, of course, on MMAJunkie.com. Dropping every Thursday, unless, you know, the fight card's on Saturday or Sunday. Maybe it'll come out on a Friday. Or the fight card's on Friday, we'll do it a day early on a Wednesday. In other words, we stay consistent with the two days out. Uh, hopefully, it's worth the wait. Further ado, let's go into the card. Uh, starting, well, it's not Fight Pass prelims because the whole card's on Fight Pass. So, uh, let's just say from the bottom fight, it'll bring us to Felipe Arantes coming up to 145 to meet Josh Emmett, who is coming down from 155 to uh, 145. Uh, the odds uh, pulling up to the podcast, which is being recorded on Thursday evening, uh, currently lists... Where are you? Josh Emmett is a minus 335 to the comeback on Arantes, plus 275. Josh Emmett is a, one of the recommended parlay pieces. Now, cards like this, I, I just kind of wish, uh, you know, not wish, but, uh, oh, yeah, wish. I wish I could put almost all the fights on the avoid list, essentially. But, you know, for entertainment purposes and stated, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I am going to give you my, my best picks. And, of course, as usual, I'm going to play those picks. So it's very chalky, and the first of that chalk, which, you know, if you parlay it together, is plus money. We'll get to that later, but uh, the, the first the first, the first uh, recommended parlay piece is Emmett. Uh, minus, wow, okay, he's actually dropped a bit in price there, okay. Uh, minus 340 is what he's probably listed on the um, on the uh, breakdown on MMAJunkie.com because those odds were pulled from this morning, you know, even though the breakdown's done in within the week prior to a fight card. Um... And he, my personal plays aside, uh, I can't. Well, I can, but it's, just, it's not really fair to list uh, you know, odds that are sprinkled out throughout the week, even if I'm being honest about them or not. Um, it's not really the best of service, if done that way, in my opinion. So uh, I'm just releasing the odds of what they look like that day. Um, and if it's one of the plays that I had that I was confident and I'm proud and stand by, but then the line just inflates by the time you know my article comes up to the point where. Doesn't make sense that it's on there. Then I'll then I'll eat it in those cases. You know, for those rare cases that happen, I'll I'll take it off and just uh, you know thank me lucky stars on the personal side that I get got in on the action early. But no, uh, we'll be going off everything off current lines and uh, and yeah, this one is more based off kind of the matchup. Uh, Emmett um, 
it, it's weird. It's a, you know, he, he's not, uh, he's not the youngest lightweight, even though, you know, he's new to the UFC and was, you know, was undefeated there for a minute. So he, he kind of had that prospect feel to him. Uh, we've seen him in some, uh, close fights and what, and whatnot, but it's good because we've got to see a lot of Josh Emmett when, especially going back uh, to run him through this comb through this last time. I've broken him down before, um, since his, uh, since his fight with uh, John Tuck, uh, the short notice one uh, last year, another European card there. Here he is back in Europe, but um, but no, I like this. Uh, his in and out style will be able to match and kind of help him when he, in, in, not just in this matchup against Orantes, but just f- fighting lighter guys in general. You know, for example, if he was a plotting guy at 155 and he comes down to 145, maybe you have to start worrying about. Okay, speed disadvantages, so on, uh, so forth, etc. But um, Emmett, although being a fire plug, uh, is a sparky fire plug, if that makes sense. You know, he he he's in and out, back and forth. And Arantes also has that as well. Even though Arantes is a shoot box guy, uh, he comes from a taekwondo base, which is very much on your toes. That's why Arantes is a little bit taller in his stance, if you notice that. But also has kind of you know, underrated kicks. Um, the problem is. Arantes is an opportunist. Now, opportunists by nature are the kind of guys that ruin these type of uh, parlay pieces, right? Your favorites that you have that uh, you're banking on or just a parlay that you really put weight on. It's like you all you hit everything but one and the guy, you know, the one that didn't miss, you know, the one that missed, you know, the guy was winning the whole fight and then he fell asleep at the wrong second and boom, there goes your parlay, right? And like so by that nature, Arantes could very well do that here. By that nature, by that definition, that is Orantes' role. But the thing is, Josh Emmett trains with a, a camp of opportunists that creates opportunist, you know, submission artists that is Team Alpha Male. So I think that's really going to come in come in handy for this. Um, you know, furthermore, uh, even though Orantes is dangerous off his back with arm bars, those are some really strong arms that he's going to have to kind of pry with Emmett and. Uh, Emmett, if anything, I think is going to have to be careful of guys with good guillotines. But then again, you know, he comes from Team Guillotine and whatnot. I'm just saying kind of more of the way he kind of shoots his doubles. But that's not one of Arantes' stronger submissions, oddly enough, even though he's a guy that's comfortable from guard. Again, comes from a Taekwondo base, so Arantes is more about leg dexterity. So he's using more leg attacks from the guard, hence the triangles, arm bars, etc. Um, you usually see him go for. I think Emmett's going to be wise to those. Um, we've seen it even in rounds he might not have, should have won and, and, and won anyways, or, or, you know, uh, it close rounds, uh, that in and out style, I think will serve him well here. And, you know, again, then there's the obvious comparison of just the size. Um, even though I'm, I'm glad Arantes is going up to 145, I think even though he wasn't, you know, it's crazy. You have, I just met Cheeto Vera in the studio. I'm like, how does this guy make 135? And. Uh, another guy, Johnny Ruquette, uh, today in the studio uh, from Combate Americas. I'm like, he, he's like another 5'8 guy. I'm like, how does this guy make, you know, um, 135? And I think Arantes is like 5'7. He's not even 5'8. Um, but, you you know, from his, his health issues, missed miss cuts recently, you could just tell, like, well, like man, this guy was going. I remember when he was first going down uh, to Bantamweight in the first place. I'm like, I don't know if that's healthy for this guy because he's. He's got a decently thick frame. He's not like super muscular, but he's not super skinny either, you know, uh, a certain age there. So now he can maybe play his air guitar all happy out to the ring, but I just don't, I just think the size difference is not going to be good for him though here because uh, again, Emmett, though he wasn't the biggest 155er, he was very strong, uh, which is impressive to 
a company is, you know, uh, uh, this would be the in and out, in and out speed and whatnot. So yeah, this is more just a matchup angle. Um, that's why Emmett's on there. So, uh, even though I'm admittedly reluctant, which probably doesn't help my cases or any of my picks, I'm being honest with you because, again, I'm honest with you here. Um, these cards don't really excite me too much from a betting angle, but I'm a degenerate like you. And, I, again, I do play everything I list here. I played it. We will get to how that caps off later. Next fight on the list is Lena Landsberg, who is a plus 230 dog against Aspen Ladd, a minus 270 favorite, coming off her failed to you know come to fruition matchup with Jessica I earlier this year her, her debut she will now be making her debut here um uh, on fight pass in Poland so uh yeah I, I I can see the line I can see why why it is what it is there even though it's a you know a female UFC debutante against you know Lena Landsberg a tough female who can fight through adversity clearly if you know, there's one positive takeaway you can say but uh this one's on my avoid list, you know. Even though I can see where the line's coming from, I like Lad here. Lad is the pick. Um, it's just they're, 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 there's not enough, not enough to sink my teeth in, and I'm not trying to knock the ladies on that, but uh, but yeah, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, not just knock the knock the ladies, but hit my normal beat of the drum by saying sample size, sample size, sample size. But yeah, it's it's. Ends up being on the avoid list. See, I, but for technical side, for what it's worth, I see Aspen Lad's volume doing well. Uh, Landsberg, even though she moves deceptively well for someone who essentially plots and is not the fastest, her defense isn't great. So not being fast and plotting just kind of parlays into her eating strikes, and you just see her wear it on her face. Uh, in the clinch, even though she's called the elbow princess, her game is far from game over from there. Um, Nevertheless, Lad will have to be careful. Although we did see, you know, Lucy Puddle of Love in her last fight, um, kind of even though she didn't win, start to change the tides with elbows, uh, a la Travis Brown esque. Um, when Landsberg was pushing her against the fence, and if you look at um, Aspen Lad's fight, was it against Sajara Eubanks or Hoy? I can't remember, but. Uh, you know, just even from the opener against the cage on her sprawls and, and her flow and her positional floats, she really strikes well and can generate power using elbows and gets really creative with her angles. Lad does, um, so that could be something to look for, uh, which is kind of ironic again because Lena Landsberg is the elbow princess. Uh, Landsberg, that's it. She, she, she's difficult to deal with in the clinch. She's stifling. She showed a little bit better underhook awareness in her last fight compared to the fight against Cyborg, although she was fighting Cyborg. But, um, but yeah, uh, if it does end up on the ground, though, um, Lad definitely has the advantage there. Um, that's where she kind of makes her money, really bread and butter, uh, the way she floats, passes, and, and works from topside. Um, not much to say there. Let's keep it, let's try to keep it short and sweet and move on. We want to stay on target to the next recommended parlay piece. Worley Alves, minus 310 uh, right now. Come back on Salim Tulhari. Uh, plus 255. Um, yeah, Alves is a uh, recommended parlay piece at the same price. Yeah, so he's still the same price from this morning, minus 310. Uh, I know, I've always been one to be hard on Alves. I'm usually picking against him, and not just picking against him, but, you know, using him for an example for kind of front-running guys, fades, three-round finish props, uh, kind of that prototype. But uh, to be honest, if Alves... 
uh, of course, I want him to adjust and do well. He's young. He should adjust. Uh, hopefully, he does. And, you know, kind of shores up these tropes that I, I tend to harp on. But to be honest, even old Worley Alves, quote-unquote bad Worley Alves, whatever you want to put it, that version of Worley Alves is perfect for matchups like these. You have a guy who, uh, in Salim, who is, you know, he's got he's got pop and he's got craft on the feet. You can see from the way he stands to the way he throws his shots. He's got good composure. Uh, we'll see how the UFC jitters affect him, but for what it's worth, he has good composure. The problem is he works at a very slow and measured pace. Um and against a guy who comes out fast, like a brick shit house, and can present a lot of threat standing as well as on the floor, um, that's not good. Uh, especially when you add to the intangible that it's a short notice fight, UFC debut, all these things, it's going to make it so hard to get comfortable anyways, and your style is a slow starter and with a measured pace. It's going to be hell for that first round. And furthermore, even though he, you know, one of some of the few fights you can see on Salimi, you, you see is a check hook at play. You know, one of Dan Tom's favorite shots. That shot could certainly play against an aggressive fighter like Alves. But uh, Alves has a chin to his credit. He knows how to survive standing. But if you look at Salim's footage, um, he's like a brown belt in BJJ, I believe, and apparently he's pretty skilled there. But it looks like his game is really much more of a gi and guard-based game, two things that don't necessarily, in fact, more often than not, don't translate well to this day and age of MMA if you don't adjust your game with a no-gi approach. And it doesn't look like uh, Salim really has done that. Uh, this guy's from the, Pol- the Polish scene, by the way. Uh, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, and nor does his name really lend too much to an ethnicity, at least to my knowledge, which isn't the best, but anyways, neither here nor there. Um, but, but yeah, uh, you know, um, yeah, he's, you know, closes guard a lot. Um, really just kind of, uh, happy to fight from his back and Worley Alves is, you know, known for his guillotine as far as grappling goes, but he's strong in the clinch, takes guys down, beats them up. Excellent ground and pound. I mean, these are some of his more stronger aspects of his game. And even though it kind of tires him out, if he doesn't get the finish, he still consistently employs that part of the game in the first round. And seeing that Salim not only, again, reluctant to, fu- uh, reluctant to get up, happy to fight from his back, but, it, again, from the limited footage, he hasn't fought, I think, since 2016. The limited footage, Salim looks like the weakest part of his game is probably the wrestling slash defensive wrestling slash defensive wrestling in the clinch. So from what I just said about Worley, as far as his strengths go, I I see him just taking him down and you know storming him on the feet, taking him down and just kind of ground and pounding him and either just severely damaging him to where he can get away even if he does gas himself out for the rest of the fight uh, and or finishing him with ground and pound and or using the ground and pound to make guys panic and, you know, kind of, you know, maybe go to a half guard. He'll kind of sit in, underhook, get up, and that's where uh, Worley hits his guillotine. He, he uses the ground and pound and the chaos to force you to bury your head and take cover, and he's he's waiting for you. He has the trap set. Um, so there, there, there are multiple ways I can see Worley winning the fight, and again, that's even at uh, at least in my in my mind the most non-ideal version of Worley Alves. I see I still see many ways of winning this fight. Um, so yeah, uh, I went ahead and abused that. Um, it pairs up with the third leg, which we'll get to in the main card, um, and that ended up being at plus money. Uh, so, anyways, let's move on to the next fight. Andre Feely is the favorite, minus 175 against Artem Lobov with a comeback of plus 155. This 
Well, I uh, got me a little bit excited when I first uh, looked at it in the line. You know, I, I, I figured it should be close, but, uh, it was, you know, it's playable territory. So maybe that's what got me excited. But I kind of remember just Artem Lobov, for better or worse, surprising us these last year, this last year or two since coming off the tough show. So I'm very quick to temper any thoughts that I initially have against Lobov, especially even after that Swanson fight, um, his last outing. So um, that's why this one ends up on the avoid list. Essentially, Feely's one of those guys. I mean, I took him against Rodriguez and other guys, even though he, his you know defensive grappling and defensive wrestling is not up for his offenses. His offense is still pretty good as far as wrestling goes. Uh, you know, he is pretty good offensive shot that he's, he's had from early in his amateur career. And it feels like he's used it more so early in his UFC career and not as much late. Except for, well, maybe not, not actually. His, his last two fights, he's he's uh, he's been pulling out all the stops for better or worse. But if Andre Feely brings that well-rounded game, you know, um, brings that game as we saw in the Hakran Diaz fight, I think uh, I think he can get it done here as as Feely is the pick, um, but I think it's going to have to be done specifically in the takedowns, which is why I keep bringing it up because Lobov, you know, say what you will about the T Rex arms and the and the uh, you know flowy flow flow, uh, but uh, he he could I could see him you know I don't know I'm still not completely sold on like some this crazy knockout power he's supposed to have but I could see him like stunning Feely for sure and kind of taking him off his game and making it a much closer fight than it needs to be you know heading into you know scorecard territory which is always dicey um I can't remember how how cards in Poland are but I mean it's not is there really any region guys at this point where we're confident in MMA judging no so uh so yeah um that's why these guys land themselves on the avoid list. Let's let's move on to another fight that's on the avoid list. Ramazan Amiv minus one sixty uh, versus Sam Sam Alvey at, at plus one forty. Oh boy! First time in my history and in this podcast history, picking against Sam Alvey breaks my heart. Uh, hope, I'm sure Jordan Killian's going to give me plenty of crap the next time I have him on here for a top five episode, and rightfully so. Uh, of course, this is a pick that I, I'm re- clearly rooting for Sam, love Sam, and can tell you that, you know, I, I pr- I'll probably, probably put some money on Sam just for fun anyways, because uh, as a fun tradition, just kind of rooting for the guy. But um, again, you know, like with the Extreme Couture stuff or the guys I know or this or that, like I explained on these last podcasts, man, I can't, I can't uh, even if I'm, even if it's something known to my hardcore audience, just in general, out of principle, I I have to go with the analysis. I have to give you guys my, my honest opinion. Um, and I can, you know, might upset people with picks, but I, I got to stick to that. And, hey, uh, that's why I love y'all for listening here because I can always, you know, clarify, express where my heart is uh, on this on this podcast. But, yes, I have to stick to my due diligence, be honest, and, and straightforward. And Ramazan Amiv is a guy that, it's funny. I, I I never scouted him, but I, I've scouted two guys. He's he's come across my scouting studies on, on multiple times when I when I was doing stuff for uh, ACB and, and studying a lot of these these Russian cats, you know, um, with the uh, with the with, with the Vasilevsky fights, uh, his pairing of fights there, and uh, boy, I'm I'm not, I'm, I'm drawing blanks. Sorry again, as you know, fight week. Dan Top is usually not getting 
too much sleep. But uh, yeah, he fights a lot of guys twice, Mar- Mario Miranda. But uh, but yeah, he's come across my studies a couple times there. Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm blanking. But um, but th- this guy th- this guy's tough, man. Uh, you know, uh, he throws good, good good boxing at range, casting punches, strong in the clinch, um, serviceable ground game. Although he really likes to kind of get things done and conduct in the clinch, cool things down, cook things up, control tempo. Uh, real power in his shots. Um, pretty good chin for the most part. You know, he, he, he's been stopped once and he's been rocked in a few of his bouts, but he, he recovers uh, pretty well. Pretty well. Um, it's just, this is just, there's just too much things going in Sam Alvey's direction away from it. I mean, obviously, first of all, you have the dynamic of Sam Alvey himself where if he's going to win the fight, there's only one way he's going to win the fight, right? Usually it's a counter, um, you know, counter knockout shots. And to his credit, you know, you go all the way back to, uh, Fuck, what's that organization in Canada with the yellow rings um, he used to fight in? But, you know, Sam Alvey has, like, a last-minute fifth round, last-minute of the fifth round stoppage in a fight he was losing the whole time. You know, he's that guy, but it's just, it's, speaking, I'm going to go bet on him, but speaking of that, it's so hard to bet on him, too, at the same time as a degenerate because you're just, like, you're just, uh, you're you're in tenseness, you know? And it's, like, a double tenseness because, you know, I'm actually a fan of the guy, um... And just want him to do well. Uh, but uh, between, you know, the headlines as you're seeing, the 34-pound cut, the travel, the last minute, uh, nature. And again, having another guy that's strong in the clinch, a place where Alvy is really underrated and, and, and a place where I really look to look to be a crux of, uh, you know, a crux, a key junction, if you will, when, when analyzing his fights. And, uh, and yeah, there's just there's, there, there's too much traffic coming back to the other way for Alvy here. I'm rooting for him. I really hope I'm wrong, and I'll even be putting money against my pick, as silly as that is. But my pick is my pick, and it's it's for a good reason. The odds are correct here um, in favoring Ameev. Uh But that's also why it's on the fights to avoid. A lot of intangibles in general. Um, my view is probably skewed in one way or another, even though I'm not even picking Alvi, etc., etc. It's probably safer to avoid this one. Okay, so we're going to move on to the next fight. Uh, of course, it's on Fight Pass. Everything's on Fight Pass. Dan Damian Stasiak versus Brian Kelleher. Uh, wow, uh, the last addition on the fights to avoid. This makes um, Stasiak a spoiler in his own right. Kelleher, who came onto the scene as a spoiler, improved. Um, he can still be spoiled. A uh, different type of submission, but reminded me of his loss on the regional circuit to my man uh, from the East Coast, Beast Coast, Andy Main. Uh, Oh, Andy Main, you know, uh, through injury and shit with Pancrase and other things, he, he's a guy that probably could have already have been on the USC scene. I'm not sure what's going on with him now. A uh, real talented kid, one of the more credible losses on Kelleher's uh, resume there. And then we saw him get you know, kind of finished again by Marlon Vera. But that was, uh, I don't think that's something we can incriminate Kelleher too much for, you know, uh, as we're seeing Cheeto Vera, man, the kid's for real. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu is his strong point, and it was a beautiful, uh, it was a beautiful flow. Uh, the chain of events that uh, that happened there, uh, the reversal, um, uh, it was kind of obvious in in the way that it broke down. But in the same sense, Kelleher really didn't have too much options in the big picture of things. So again, it's not not a condemnable loss. Uh, Kelleher didn't seem to take it too hard. Seems to be a, a get back on the horse type of dude. Uh, hence to go along with his attitude and tangibles. But Stasiak, you know, it's tough. Um, 
he could be a spoiler. His grappling is super underrated, but his striking is it, it's underrated but overrated at the same time. Not overrated, but how do I put this? You know, he, he he's a karate guy, which I love karate guys, and and Stasiak, so he's got the in and out. He you know he, he'll spin and have you know surprising accuracy with some of the spinning stuff to his credit. But he does it too much. He doesn't set it up enough. And but to his credit, I guess one of the good things for him, but the bad things for the fights, or if you're betting against him, is that it kind of stifles action, even in fights where he should be outgunned and is getting outgunned. It just allows him to kind of hanging around, hanging, hanging around, as Teddy KGB and Rounders would say. Um, but yeah, uh, so it, just a lot of intangibles in this one. Both guys could use the win here for sure. Um, Stasiak's going to be in Poland, so he's not going to go away easy. Kelleher, proven he can go into people's backyards and and, and, and take their lunch money. So there's a lot of two-way traffic here. This is probably better off on the avoid list. Even overs and stuff gets tricky for this one. Um, I will say the low Bob Feely, uh, going backtracking a little bit as far as overs go, that's an you know over or a, maybe, but I, I stayed away from that one, even though I feel like that one's going to go long. Too many intangibles, but one over on the undercard I did play uh, was Landsberg and Ladd, um, despite them being on the avoid. Uh, I paired that up with something, with two things coming up on this for my uh, two parlays that I made for this card. So uh, I'll recap it at the end here. I'm just teasing it slash tabbing it as we go along. Next fight, Anthony Hamilton uh, versus Adam uh, Weiserich. Weitzerich? Uh, what? No, not Weitzerich. That's more German. Weitzerich? Yeah, whatever the... Whatever Zurich. Uh, who? Oh, I got logged out. But uh, last I checked, he moved up to a minus 150. Uh, Weiserich is a... Straight play, minus 145. Uh, even that, I got him late because he was actually open at dog money. Uh, grats to you fast cats who get on them lines fast. Um, as you know, Dan Tom uh, ne- ne- never really bumps his chest in that regard because that's, <laughs> that's not my game. Again, uh, I'm, I'm one of the more later cats that gets it done later on in the week, but uh, hopefully it's worth that weight. Uh, and, um, and yeah, but... Uh, but yeah, again, he, he's still in a playable uh, range, so he he still makes the list. And uh, Hamilton, man, it's tough. Um, by the way, uh, I also have a. Oh, let me look here. Yeah, Weiserick, Adam Weiserick is the first uh, DraftKings uh, DraftKings edition, uh, which we brought back. Hopefully, y'all are enjoying those. Got some good feedback on MMAJunkie.com with the betting section at the end that I'm referencing here, as well as DraftKings recommended roster. And in the little summary I put on those recommended rosters, you'll see uh, it's just, it's tough, man. I mean, An- Anthony Hamilton, I mean, you know, he looks like, you know, he's got the sleepy eyes, like he looks like the black Vince Vaughn, right? And, you know, another big guy, heavyweight, never sleeps. Uh, but, uh, but freight train's been the has been the sleep train. I mean, he's been been stopped, you know, in his last three outings or something like that. He's lost six of his last nine, and he's making an uncomfortably quick turnaround from a knockout loss that happened just a month ago. I don't like this, man. I don't like this. But he put the gun in my head. I got to be honest with the picks and as to why, and that that, that definitely contributed as to why I was um, 
Weiserich's the pick here. There's not a lot of sample size on him, but he's 6'5", kind of looks like Stefan Schrube, but more fluid, you know, kind of a, a, a models his game, looks like a smaller guy from the way he strikes in the feet with a fluid flow to his transitions. Really good at finding the back, good leg dexterity, good sense of position. Um, makes good adjustments when guys are trying to dump him over the back when he's getting too high, which is easy as a guy who's six fucking five. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot to like here. This could be uh, the next coming of Stefan Struve. I don't know if I should get that excited because this was all like really shitty footage online, but, um, but yeah, it was enough. It was enough to be convincing to make a play here. And, you know, considering that he was open as a dog, I, I apparently am not alone there. So, um, so yeah, whether it's standing or on the floor, Man, I mean, you're seeing Anthony Hamilton get put out by Fortuna, and even his last shot by Daniel Spitz, who, you know, if you go watch Spitz's regional stuff and, and his, his UFC fight prior, I don't, I don't know if that should have been happening, you know? Anyway, so, where's Rick's the pick there? Put one unit on him straight. He is uh, DraftKings play. And that's it. Um,. All right, the next fight on the list. Cutting through this. Uh, yeah, the headliner of the prelims, uh, Marcin Held versus Nazrak Hasparas. Uh, Nazrat's been training everywhere, man, like Kings MMA, TriStar, Tiger Muay Thai. Um, the dude looks like he works hard. He looks like he's a natural athlete. He's also working with high-level Olympic wrestlers and has a natural knack for wrestling. A lot of those Middle Eastern cats, man, uh, they, they can wrestle their asses off. And um, even though Held has shown that he, wrestling almost kind of doesn't matter with his unorthodox entries as far as his dives for leg entanglements, um, the wrestling will certainly help, certainly help, uh, Nazrat help, uh, dictate terms, but it's going to ultimately come down to leg entanglements because not only is that held main, most dangerous and typically the hardest to defend on paper of his attacks, but it's more importantly, it's the entanglements that he uses for takedowns. When you can stop the takedowns, then held's going for leg entanglements. Maybe he's a little gun shy because of what happened, uh, the last time in his last fight when he rolled for the Imanari and, Got needed by Hadzovic, who, you know, your boy Danton's been quietly high on. Uh, I know I look crazy for picking him against Tizimov, but Hadzovic um, is a dangerous cat, and he proved at least that he's dangerous there. Uh, obviously, I've tempered my highness on him since, but uh, I was definitely glad he cashed and came through for your boy there. Uh, and leaving Held on a three-fight losing skid heading into this fight. All three of those fights were his UFC fights, too. He came in... With some hype, almost looked like he was hitting a renaissance, but just kind of hit a plateau. Didn't develop much more than sharpening up his left hook a bit and didn't, didn't develop much more from that on the feet and on the ground. Well, his game is pretty written there. As dangerous as it is, it's pretty uh, written. So Held is the pick. I get why he's the favorite, but this line is way too inflated. Um... It didn't end up on my avoids list, although it should have been. Again, I probably should have been, you know, have all of these fights on my avoids list for this fucking card. But I did put um, Hack Paras on the, uh, as far as the cheapest selection for the roster pick. Because, again, this guy has knockout power, um, wrestling ability, and the value of the inflated slash tilted line Um the you know it's probably the most ripe ripe for upset the uh 
the the Scoggins-esque pick of the card for an upset, if you will. Uh, there's probably a clever, more comical way to word that going forward, which I'll try to think of something. But yeah, the favorite that you think is going to shit the bed the most, I feel like Held is that guy, um, if anything. So as far as a fantasy pick goes, for what's looking at the bottom brim there... Um, Hack Parass may be worth it, and he'll allow you to fit some uh, more heavier hitters on your roster if you do add him. So just some food for thought there, which is why um, I put him on my roster. And the first prop of the night comes up with this fight as well, as I have held. Hacks Parass will not go the distance at minus 170. Um, let's see what it's listed at for right now. Right now. No, because you you typed boxing props, you idiot. Yeah, all right. Uh, I don't know what it's at right now, but I put minus 170 because, again, Held is do or die. He's either going to get the submission or he's going to gas out and get finished and or not just gas out and get finished. He could actually get caught by um, Nazrat on the way in because this, this dude's got got power in his – potent power in his fist. Yeah, and – uh all right, while I adjust this odd sheet in front of me, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we will unpack the final four, the main card of UFC Dynasty. Cucarachas enojadas. Right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the UFC Gdansk Breakdown. Main card, Tony Clifton Sorry. <laughs> that's what, that's every time I'm saying, saying Gdansk, it feels weird. And it also makes me want to go into either a mix of either going one way into Martin Katman, which is, you know, not even Poland, that, that's, that's Danish, an accent, or <laughs> Tony Clifton. From uh, Man on the Moon, uh, Andy Kaufman, Andy Kaufman's story there. So yeah, all right. Dan Tom's random references are intact. Fear not, but we are staying on target. We are on the main card, and kicking off the main card is a lightweight fight that we all know. No, it's not. It's not a fight we all know about. It's not a lightweight fight either. Wow, it looks like they really just kind of shuffled the names in a hat and just kind of threw it. You know, threw it on the on the game board and seen where everything's landing. And Jonathan Wilson versus Oscar Piachota landed for the main card opening bout. We have Oscar Piachota at minus one ninety favorite with a comeback on Jonathan Wilson being plus one sixty five as the dog. Um, I came in this favor in Jonathan Wilson. I I like Johnny Boy. You know, Southpaw with some pop training down with the boys at Millennia MMA. Cross training with the guys from Team Quest, even guys at Rufka. Um, you know, Johnny's been getting around. Uh, he's only had you know, one fight in the last year or so, been out for the majority of the last year, in fact. And is coming down from 205, you know, was undefeated coming in, won his first fight against Chris Dempsey, lost two uh, against uh, Frank Waston and um, the fuck? Uh, Ion Cute Lob of the Hulk. 
and now he's coming down to middleweight. Looks in great shape doing so. I'm going to be interested to see his fight-to-fight improvements, which is the intangible at play. Uh, even the limited sample size that is probably out of date on Jonathan Wilson's grappling, uh, which is perceived the weaker part of his game, doesn't look bad. Looks like he's got some good awareness of hips. Uh, I like the way he moves you know, north-south from side control, staying away from legs so guys can't regard. Uh, for the most part, trying to play at high percentage, though he can get in trouble. Um, as we saw, you know, he, 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 he was winning, you know, comeback from winning, granted, but was winning against, you know, Frank Waston until he got caught in a guard sweep slash leg entanglement, which happens to be a specialty of a much more proficient jiu-jitsu practitioner named Oscar Piachota, uh, a Robert Drysdale black belt, which is no joke, by the way. I had the privilege to train under Robert Drysdale before training with Neil Melanson. Um, in fact, before Robert Drysdale opened his Drysdale jiu-jitsu school out here in Vegas, um, he had a, what do you call, a residency, if you will, with Extreme Couture as our, our main jiu-jitsu uh, coach for about a year and a half or so. And uh, it was a very educational year and a half. In fact, my main go-to mount escape that gets me to my beloved half guard that I love so dearly is a Robert Drysdale mount escape. And it was great because even before, this was even before he even was thinking, well, maybe he had thoughts about in the back of his head, but it wasn't even talked about him going in MMA back then. This was 2008, 2007. And it was great because I, I immediately clicked with uh, Drysdale style jiu-jitsu. He was like teaching escapes that like were MMA involved, where the mount escape incorporated blocking your head from strikes while using your blocks to help pry the leg to get half guard. Cool stuff. Neither here nor there. Anyways, um, if a black belt comes from Drysdale, I definitely respect it. And I went through and watched grappling footage as well as, of course, the MMA footage on Piachota and was really impressed because even though he does some quote-unquote high-risk stuff, not only does he do well from those positions, he translates it well into his MMA game and has gotten better about it. He's gotten much more reserved um, and much more better with his risk management. Granted, you know, it, it's not a high-level competition, so who can really say how he's going to act on the big stage? But on the other end of that equation, as far as the risk management for the grappling, it, 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 it's reaffirmed slash compensated by the clear work he's putting into his striking. Um, early on in his career, he's always had a good left hook, and you can really kind of see that he, his hand and head placement, the way he positions himself, he was going to kind of have somewhat of a natural knack for striking he at least his head was in the right place right his head and heart's in the right place we kind of would see how he would grow and granted they were you know well better a better opposition than he faced recently his last two but um still regional fights still kind of opportunistic kind of um chapters in the fight that happened we don't know if this is going to be something he could consistently you know, these are opportunities that he can consistently create yet. That, that, that still remains to be seen. But, but man, was it nice. His hook has come to life. Not only can he throw it coming forward now, but he throws it as a check, as you saw, I believe, was his last knockout. And the one before that, I believe, was the head kick. If I'm wrong, it's just the, you just switch the two around. Either way. Um, and, and, yeah, you know, he's like a better version of Marcin Held as far as on the ground and even on the feet. Like, Marcin Held had that left hook, but he didn't add anything to it. Whereas you see Piachota... Uh, like many um, northern, northeastern, more specifically Russian, even though he's Polish, but the example I'm using, you see a lot of, in other words, from European, uh, that continent, that region, that part of the continent, the kickboxers from there really work well off of their lead leg. You know, from their heavyweights like Ruslan Magomedov to uh, Rashid Magomedov uh, to the lightweights, right? Um, 
And, and even even the pole here, Piachota, uh, is really good off of his lead um, his, his his lead foot, you know. Uh, and so is another pole on Joanna and Jacek. I mean, she almost uses her lead her lead kick. It's not even a switch kick. She almost throws it as a check hook, you know. It's like a check kick. Oh my my god, man! It's just destroying me with these fucking farts. My goodness. Ah, oh, boxer boxer farts are the worst. Anyone who's a boxer, we we love them. We love those dogs. Oh, man, their their stomachs are fucking awful. Ah, it's fucking chemical warfare, Benjamin. All right, sorry, guys. I'm getting distracted here. But yeah, Piachota right now, minus 190, plus 165, Wilson. Uh, Piachota's a straight play f for me. I got him at minus 185, which wasn't that great. Um, the, the line has steadily grown these last couple days on him. Again, just another unit play there, one unit. But I think it's worth it. I think uh, he can hang with... Uh, these Polish cats are durable, but he, he's an aggressive takedown guy, so he can hang with... Um, uh, Johnny Bravo, if not, you know, make Jonathan Wilson work and and perhaps maybe tire him out as the fight goes on and then create chaos. I see him getting a submission. Um, I didn't post it, but I did sprinkle because it got up to like plus 330. It was like minus, it was like plus 270 like last night. Now it's like plus 330 or some shit. Uh, P.S. by submission. I took a small shot on that, but mainly it's uh, one unit on, um, on him straight up and he is also on the fantasy list as well uh the second highest pick but i believe he's worth it because even if it's a decision victory or god forbid a loss he's such an aggressive takedown artist that this guy's going to rack you some points regardless so i like piachota um yeah me to song all right next fight uh jan blachowicz versus devin brown bear clark uh, minus 160 favorite Clark, comeback on Blakovich, plus a 140. Yeah, man, uh, it's crazy. You look at Blakovich's career, it's only it's two wins. The liver kick against Latifi, and then, I forget, but it was some other, like, just, oh, yeah, uh, the decision against um, Bakrayek, where, like, he should have just blown him out of the water, almost did, and then almost gets blown out of the water and lets Bakrayek back into the fight. Um, so if you look at it from that bold kind of obtuse angle, there's really not a lot to like about Blakovich, but he is a really dangerous guy and you cannot deny that, you know, he's got pop, you know, he's known for the liver kick, but really it's his shovel hooks and uppercuts that are dangerous. And against a guy like Devin Clark, who's going to be changing his levels, those shots, he could come up big. He could strike gold. He could teach the young, uh, attempting to be contender a lesson. But I think the wrestling is just too potent, you know. Blockwitch, to his credit, has improved his offensive wrestling. And he's even improved his defensive wrestling against the fence. But in the open, he still has trouble. And in the open, the reactionary takedowns to aggressive fighters. Aggressive fighters like Blockwitch is where Devin Clark does his best work. Has his highest percentage. Hits his best takedowns. I think that's going to be too potent. Um, Devin Clark doesn't keep guys down as much as I would like, but a lot of it has to do with his risk management. Um, as in, he's not trying to overcommit limbs for submissions or overcommit body weight for sweeps. So there is kind of a double-edged sword there. In other words, there's positives to that too. But for this matchup, he's going to have to hold him down because um, Blakovich, uh that's his trope. He's, he, he, he'll oblige a guy if a guy wants to hold him down. Blakovich will fight from there. He has some really clever stuff from his back. And, you know, he had a real, when he was coming in from KSW and adjusting into the UFC, 
Uh, he was coming off some knee surgery, so you could see his guard work was really limited and bad. But uh, even though his cardio hasn't improved since then, it, it still has kind of been a consistent plague for him. To his credit, his guard work has still yet guard work, especially in this division, is a dangerous proposition with a low reward, right? Furthermore, Devin Clark's fundamentals seem to be intact as far as keeping his hands inside the bicep, uh, hips, head over head, uh, pressure in the appropriate places, checkbox, checkbox, checkbox. Uh, was looking good for Devin Clark there. So that, that spells bad news for Blockwitch. Furthermore, Devin Clark has a knack, for, a knack for, for passing. He's a really good passer, actually. And he does it when the guy on bottom attacks. So if Blockwitz goes about his normal game, it's going to burn him more than usual. It's, cause it's just going to feel the passing game of Devin Clark. Um, if Devin Clark, best case scenario, I see him cooking Blockwitch. Uh, and getting a third round submission via arm triangle just because he's tired. But Blockwitch, really good defensively game, even when he's tired. I see this being a decision. If Blockwitch doesn't catch him with a shot early, I think he's going to gas. I see it being a decision uh, for Clark, as that is the second of my th- of three official parlay uh, or official props, as I have Clark by decision plus 151, half a unit. Um, Let's see, is it still plus money now? Dead Air Radio. Welcome to Dead Air Radio. Uh, Clark, by decision, is plus 120. It's going down, so by the time you hear this, it may be at favorite money. Um, Because that seems like one of the few plus lines to be on. It's definitely one of the few plus lines I'm on, as we'll get to my lines in total uh, later. Clark also completes the last of uh, my straight plays. I had three, Piachota, Wezerick, and uh, Clark is the last one. Minus 155, uh, one unit. And right now, again, Clark is 160. So, again, yeah, the trend is climbing on Clark if you want to get aboard that train. I'm not, like, super high like he's the next thing, although it doesn't take much to be the next best thing in this division. But for the matchup at hand, it's the perfect dynamic. He fits the traditional tropes of Blockowicz. Um I, I was even thinking about making him a parlay piece, um, which I may still parlay him because I, I haven't done my, my main card parlay yet. That reminds me. I always parlay my main card picks. I forgot to do that. But I will tell you the parlays I did do. And they both end with the next fight, the co-main event. Karolina Kovalkiewicz, who has now climbed to a minus 500 against Jody Escobel, plus 400. Um, Escobel's game, veteran, tough, durable as they come, but she's essentially the shorter, um, in my opinion, not as skilled version as Karolina Kovalkiewicz. She's a stick and move stylist. She does, you know, she parlays her missed tie, tie kicks into side kicks. You know, a lot of similarities here. Uh, slow star- slow starter, uh, picks up late in the fight, doesn't get discouraged easily. I mean, these are things that you can check off in both ladies' boxes. Well, shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't have worded it like that. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, but I don't see, as I say, this cave is just going to give it away in her hometown. Again, to make the Scoggins reference, I, I, I see held as more of the Scoggins of this card. I don't, I, I don't really see Kovalkiewicz as that spot, which is why I know, tis tis, it's chalky. Um, I still included her, even though uh, 
I got it a little lower, even if you parlay at the minus 470 that I had to list for the day of, which is Thursday morning for the article that I'm referencing on MMAJunkie.com, my breakdown. If you parlay the first parlay piece, Emmett 340, the second Alves 310, and Kovalkiewicz uh, minus 470. Again, these lines are kind of adjusted, but I got plus 105 essentially right in that neighborhood, plus money for it. Um, I, 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 I played a, I played that for a unit and parlayed that. The other parlay... Uh, I had, I don't really list props on there because it gets even more confusing than, I don't really think the layout's pretty, I don't think the layout's confusing, but I mean, by the way, uh, give me your opinions, most of it's good, most of y'all are just happy that I brought brought the format back, but if I start getting in between parlay pieces and props and props you can use for parlay pieces, it may very well be confusing. Thankfully, you're listening to the Protect Your Neck podcast where you get all my opinions regardless. Um, so I played, uh, like I, I, I cheated, I, I, I kind of teased earlier, I played the Landsberg and Lad over, which at the time was over 2.5 minus 255. I parlayed that with an official prop of Held Hasperat, or Hack, Hack Perast, um, at Fight Won't Go the Distance, minus 170. And for the third leg... Kovalkiewicz, Escavel over 2.5, minus 275, which now it's kind of ballooned up to minus 300. Um, but those got me... I forget what they got me. Let me see here. Because I pull that up. But yeah, those were my two parlays. And of course, I'm going to parlay my main car picks um, for $5. Because that's my kind of like fun tradition. Uh, but yeah, the overs and the doesn't go the distance. Oh, that ended up being plus 100 on the dot. I put one unit on that as well. Um, so yeah, that, that that that's 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 what I played. And looking at the rest of my plays here, they're all have been covered, um, except for Bellator, which I'll cheat and give you a little bit of that um, at the end here. Let's let let let's keep the train moving on on. on we got one more to go. Uh, that's right. That's right. The main event: Darren Till versus Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Who is four and seven against Southpaws, and y'all know me. Um, I'm not shy to fade Cerrone, and whether I'm picking him or picking against him, I've actually been right about Cerrone. Cerrone's one of those guys where I know me and a lot of people kind of get him wrong. Like he shows up when you want to fade him, and then he doesn't when you uh, you do or don't or whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, one of the people I have the best sayings about um, Cerrone, who uh, I was talking about on uh, I credited on MMA Junkie Radio the other day. Um, and of course, you guys know from if you listen to this podcast, my man, da- my man Dan Levy over uh, at Half the Battle at Best Fight Picks. But he always says, "Uh, well, now what, what the fuck does he always say?" Oh yeah, the you know, top five guys essentially being the watermark for Cerrone, um, which has been true for most of his career. But man, we're getting to the part where it's like, is Cerrone going to show up and start looking old on us and start kind of fading on us in a literal sense? I mean, it's kind of depressing, right? I mean. Whether you like fading the guy or not, Cerrone's a badass fighter to watch, man. I love watching this guy. I'm a Cerrone fan, uh, you know, in that sense. And um, and it's going to be real depressing when, when you know, if, when he doesn't show up. Um, I'm just hoping for a good fight here. I, I, I avoided this one. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pretty happy and proud of the breakdown I wrote, wrote up for this one. You can find it on MMAJunkie.com so you can get anything I'm, I'm, I'm missing. I'm probably going to miss a lot as I skim here. But, uh, but, but yeah, yeah. Um, I like Till's game. You know, he presents a lot of the traditional tropes that have troubled Cerrone. The southpaw stance, the brutal body attacks, the confident attitude intangibles. But 
He doesn't possess right hands, which has been a common culprit for both stances from Cerrone, and he doesn't possess the volume, output, pace, and pressure. Till puts pressure, a different kind of pressure, but not the pressure that's accompanied with strike output, which is not just what you traditionally needed to beat and or get Cerrone off his game, but also in the MMA world of judging to secure rounds, which I actually have a feeling this one might go to decision. You know, both guys are okay with starting slow. Both guys are okay with obliging a, a striking battle. More importantly, both guys are secretly just wanting to have a goddamn Muay Thai fight. And now they get dance partners who are going to give them the Muay Thai fight. Yes, Cerrone has a ground advantage on paper. And yes, Cerrone has an underrated takedown game. But I think Till's got underrated takedown defense. Uh, from a sprawl in the open to especially his clinch. In fact, I feel that Till will be the better clinch fighter. They both celebrate offense. Cerrone's got, the, uh, I think Till's got the better elbows, but Cerrone's got some really mean elbows of himself, plus his patent needs from in range, intercepting, and of course in the clinch. The problem is, for Cerrone at least, he's traditionally been hittable from the clinch for much of his career. You know, from Eddie Alvarez dirty boxing him and before and after that point. Okay? And, um,. Till, on the other hand, is kind of quietly defense, uh, defensive, really defensively savvy, both from a grappling and striking standpoint. Even when guys do get off strikes, you know, they don't really surprise him. He's kind of moving with them. He knows where they're coming from. He's parlaying it and shifting their weight with the strike. Um, uh, so, so I really like this fight if, if they get into the clinch. Something to watch for, you know. Uh, I don't think, you know, and even if he does get Till down, it'll be interesting to what, see what Till has from his back because we don't have a, uh, it's a very limited sample size, right? I'm, I'm curious too, but the times we have seen Till on his back or in these kind of scrambles taking down, um, he's real quick to just turtle up, belly down, and stand. And he's good about protecting his back. Cerrone hasn't been as good of a back taker um, in recent years. I don't know if that's an age thing, a preference thing, uh, or what. But so long as Till keeps his approach of not sticking around too long off his back, which is a good approach for anybody to have, so long as he can continue that while protecting his back, then I don't see ground stanzas lasting long in this fight. Um... And, and just, yeah, but on the feet, what's interesting is Cerrone's fought so many people, we all know that, and he's fought so many people in different weight divisions and stack weight divisions. It's like, what style has he not seen? Well, this is a style I feel Cerrone hasn't seen. Another savvy Muay Thai guy who, whether or not he's going to beat him remains to be seen, but I, 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 I can say he's a craftier fighter. Does that mean he's a better fighter? No. Does that mean he's going to win? No. But I do feel like Till is a more is a more craftier Muay Thai fighter, and it's up the same alley. And it's also a southpaw, which I said presents those intangibles. But even though Till doesn't present the intangibles and tropes that I spoke of as far as the right hand and output goes, that counter intangible is something we haven't seen. You know, we haven't seen a devastating counter guy face Cerrone. That was kind of one of the interesting things when that was one of the, you know, when Cerrone was on the McGregor platter of last year, right? Um, as far as that, you know, that press conference and the who the fuck is this guy and all those exchanges. When when thinking about the possibilities of a Cerrone-McGregor match, that was the thing. I'm like, wow, Southpaw counter guy. You know, Cerrone's gotten better at moving his head with Brandon Gibson and punching his way out of the pocket and using offense for defense to help his defense. But, yeah, we really haven't seen him against that game-over counterpuncher guy. And... Till is similar to McGregor in that sense with his pull counters. 
but he's bigger, stronger, and he has the devastating tie kicks, you know, to the body, to the liver, that we know don't bode well with our old boy buddy Cowboy. So it could be real interesting, man. Like, I, I would not be surprised to see Till Rock capitalize and stop Cerrone and or even like outcraft him uh, and break him down to the body. Um, regardless of who wins, I'm honestly just hoping for a good fight. As cheesy as that sounds, it's true. Because on paper, these guys can both give us that great fight. But, uh, but, but ultimately, you know, as an analyst with the information at hand, it's hard to pick against Cerrone, you know? Um, I see this fight going the distance and Cerrone's volume, not just volume, but he's, he's a more diverse striker on the feet and, and more pathways on the feet, on the floor, and overall in the fight to win. Uh, more experience in these big fights. Um, traditionally wins in these spots, although he's not exactly going to Poland and over to Europe all the time either. Um, uh, and even, you know, though Cowboy's reluctant attitude and lack for desire for a title or any goals for that matter can be troubling and maddening to hardcores who have been following his career for some time. <coughs> Excuse me. We were just talking about it on the show today, MMA Junkie Radio, by the way. Find me five days a week at MMA Junkie Radio. Um, we were just talking about that today on the show this week where it's like his attitude, it, it almost feels better. Like, he feels like... He, even he's accepted it more than he's already kind of accepted it. And he feels like he's also, but more importantly, he feels like he's very realistic of the spot he's in as far as gatekeeper, not letting it um, bother him, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, that makes me feel better. But then, of course, my man Brian, Brian Schoonover, texted me. And he's like, God damn it, Cerrone's doing it again. Because he's really good at breaking down Cerrone and his stare downs and, 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 and you know... Um, the whole buddy-buddy Cerrone tell was brought to light with the whole Matt Brown thing, but uh, I got to give credit where credit's due. My man, Brian, he's been on that tell for Cerrone for quite some time, and uh, he even texted me something today about their stare-down uh, where he was showing me, like, he's, like, trying to be buddy-buddy when they're facing off each other and they turn and face the cameras, and then he's still trying to say something to Till. Like, you're just like, oh, uh, I don't know. That stare-down made me, like, go, oh, I guess I wasn't crazy for going back and forth on this fight between Till and Cerrone. And that stare down would have made me feel better about a tilt pick. But no, I, I'm sticking to my guns here, and I'm sticking with the Cowboy. Um, his high kicks could tax Till for his, Till's low-handed leans. You know, he leans. He's real confident with his slips. Cowboy's good at sneaking those head kicks up. But more importantly, I see Cowboy's leg kicks having play. With that pull uh, counter style that we talked about and the weight distribution that it requires... It either leaves his foot heavy when he's coming forward, the front foot heavy, which uh, you know, is a traditional uh, trope as far as leading to leg kicks. But also, he leaves his front foot light when he's pulling back, which kind of just leaves his leg being one of the only things in range. And Boyan Velichkovic caught on to this and was just tacking on his leg kick on his combinations and ended up you know, fucking up Till's thighs pretty bad. Um, Till's shown the ability to acknowledge it to the extent of like being able to work through it, which... I don't know is the best approach, you know, baiting guys. So, you know, at a certain point, he was like, go on, kick me. Go on, I'm that into you. Kick me. And he has his left cross counter to the, you know, his left cross counter chambered. But against Cerrone, the fighter in all weight, just no matter the weight classes, who's landed the most UFC leg kicks in UFC history, I don't think that bodes well for him. So, so yeah, the pick here is Cerrone. I stayed the fuck away. Um, I hope you did too. Uh, I didn't do a lot of research on Bellator. I got to look up when the, my first Bellator 
thing is coming up, though, by the way, because uh, MMA Junkie now will be doing more breakdowns for you. Won't be doing all the Bell Tours, thankfully. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But I actually am excited that I have an excuse now to do those 10 pole events because those are, are pretty badass. Um, even though this isn't a 10 pole event, uh, Musasi makes his way over, f- fight Slamenko. The line fucking skyrocketed, but I'll tell you what Dan Tom did do. Dan Tom did, he's my Bellator parlay. Uh, I did one unit on this and uh, a neighborhood of plus 255. And that's Musasi inside the distance at minus 161. And then, of course, I went with the. the promotion, the promotional parlay. They want Musasi to win, and they need the female fight. So I have to go with, go with my girl, my girl, my Pacific Islander, uh, Anna Hulatan, Anna, minus one forty-five. I added her, and then Heather Hardy, not my girl, but what matter if you know what I'm saying? Uh, Heather Hardy, uh, minus three thirty-five. You parlay the three together, uh, neighborhood of. Plus two fifty five. I put one unit on on that. So those are my plays for this weekend. Um, if you got any questions, feedback, or whatever, um, holla at me at Dan Tom and me on Twitter. You can follow and holler at the podcast at the PYN podcast. Good news is at the PYN podcast is also the address for Instagram and Facebook. Even if you're not active. Give us a follow on there. It helps. It helps the numbers. It helps the podcast. It's a free way to help the support the show. Another free way to help support the show is uh, using the Amazon click-throughs, which somebody did, by the way, to buy uh, E53. It's a bunch of numbers. Um, Lithium-ion batteries. They weren't cheap. I'm guessing they're for a camera or a camcorder. doesn't really list a brand of camera here but they were not cheap so whoever that was thank you amazon's been a real pain i'm trying to stay up on the banners it feels like they keep changing it so if you've bought something recently or you buy something in the future and you don't hear me read it off that probably wasn't by accident hit me up uh let me know um it probably means there's something off with the banner and you're probably catching it before i am so you're just helping me so feel free if you're buying stuff there and you're not hearing it um I don't want your support to be in vain because I appreciate the fuck out of it. Um, whatever you do, even if you're just giving us a, a follow or as well using the Onnit click-throughs. People have been using that too. Uh, I won't list everything there, but uh, there's definitely been some supplements that haven't been been, me, been bought from me. Uh, so I, I definitely appreciate your guys' support. And of course on iTunes, the algorithm, the likes, the numbers, all that good stuff. Um, five star, uh, I'll save it for the next one. I want to keep this episode short and sweet, but five star ratings, reviews, that means the world. Um, thank you guys so much. And, and a challenge I put forth and I forgot to check on it. So if someone would have capitalized on the challenge, you would have been able to make Dan Tom look real bad, but you guys were sleeping. So I'm going to put that challenge out again. Um, I'm trying to get my email switched over to Gmail so it'll get me in the habit of checking it anyways. But the email that I always tease for this podcast is... Not the, but protect, protect ya, Y-A, protect ya neck podcast at gmail.com. Protect ya neck podcast at gmail.com. And that challenge was send me an email. Send me an email, ask me anything, um, you know, uh, whether it's uh, feedback, I like this, I don't like this. Hey, when these fighters 
Um, blah, 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 blah. You know, when these kind of fighters meet, what do you think? Uh, any early leans on this match? I mean, I might not have broken this down yet, Dan, but what do you think? Or uh, um, thinking about, you know, uh, leaving my wife and, you know, I need some advice. I will give you fucking awful advice, but whatever. Honestly, honestly, challenge me. It could be something fucking hilarious, something real life shit that has nothing to do with MMA or something MMA related. Um, to spark conversation or, or you know or, or hopefully since relevant but again I'll, I'll do my best to, to make it entertaining and incorporate into the podcast but just the point is not not trying to make anything special or make anything funny that doesn't need to be funny but the point is I, I, I want more interaction that's the point that's the real point of it uh, I want want more uh, interaction with y'all I want to hear 140 characters is tough I don't exactly keep the most organized schedule on this motherfucker, so if you just think of something, you're like, you know what, I want to bother Dan Tom with it, go punch it in the email, send it to me, I'll, I'll see if I can hash it out on the podcast, um, if you don't want your name mentioned, then mention that, I won't mention your name, or if you do, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll, I'll shout the fuck out of you, uh, sir or ma'ams, in the potential future. So, uh, yeah, those are the notes, that's it, I'll see you guys on Twitter this weekend. Uh, be careful with your plays. Know that this is a madman sport, that you're a degenerate for even doing so. Just have fun with it. Don't don't bet to the point where it's going to ruin your fun for the sport. You know, there's way too many crappy things that happen in real life, and there's way too much politics and stuff that are now entering our sport that may change it. We got to keep it fun, people. It's our responsibility to do so. So thank you for helping me keep this fun for me. Hopefully I'm helping this keep this fun for you. And until next time... Protect your neck.